everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today, Miss Keith Bloomfield. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be back, Ryan. And also, Mr. Lee Price. Welcome back, Lee. Hello. Matt's unfortunately not very well, but uh, hope he gets better soon. But yes, get well soon, Matt. We shall carry on. We shall soldier on regardless. Keith, what have you been up to today? I know you've been purchasing things, looking at the stack of boxes on the webcam to the side. Of you. <laughs> have, you been, have you been shopping on Prime Day? No, no, I don't. I don't have Prime. This mostly it's it's eBay um because i'm i'm still going through a very bad habit of replacing comics i used to have and spending twice as much to get them back so one of the things you can see here is a um uh an idw collection of the dave gibbons doctor who comics um from the early 80s which i did have in the original black and whites but these are color very nice very it's an oversized format which is quite good um and then there's some other stuff the the best one is a um Diamond Select Iron Giant figure, which okay. I pre-ordered probably 12 months ago. I forgot I'd ordered it, and then it suddenly turned up at the doorstep, and I was like, "What? who? What? Uh, and then I checked my bank account and went, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd paid for that. It's, um, it's okay. Yeah. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't hugely expensive. It wasn't Mondo expenses no. or a thousand toys one. But it's quite, it's quite nice. It's quite a cool one. Um. It now goes with a remote control one I had from the original release that I've also bought on eBay. I do a lot of shopping on eBay. It's not good. <laughs> I always call it the Kickstarter curse when the pre-orders come out, when things are complete, and you're like, oh, oh yes, I backed that, didn't I? Yeah. Um, well, it's terrible at the moment because there's a lot of comics people who are going, yeah, I'm going to make this really gorgeous book and you really want it. And it's like, we haven't got to pay for it for 40 days. Yeah. And you go, yeah, I'll, I'll get what you know. What I'll get the one with the deluxe extras and the oversized and the badges I'm never going to use and the prints I don't know what to do with. I'm, I'm going to get it. Yeah, I ordered the uh, Maddie Once and Future one, and then had the email following up saying, "Oh, now you need to pay an extra fifteen pound postage on top." I was like, "Huh?" Oh. <laughs> I think that seems to be a, a thing now with a lot of the big ones because yeah. postage is such a yeah an expensive thing for them to cover. Um, on big items, I think I, I backed the uh, Tales of the Quarantine. I also, um, back, yeah, I backed that one as well. Where it was another one where it got you had to pay the postage after. But I kind, I kind of don't mind with that because at least then I'm not. It's not ridiculously shipping it in from America. Yeah. Um, but Quarantine's good because that's a UK based one, and I think the Maddie one, which is Duncan Jones and Alex DeCampi, they're kind of shipping in bulk to the UK to make it a bit cheaper for everybody. But um, yeah. every time I've done it to a Kickstarter, it's always been just a game, and so I've just had a download code and then a digital <laughs> art book and just the soundtrack, and that's it. <laughs> we can do the digital versions of these comics, yeah. but you know that's yeah. not the same as having something that you can hit a burglar with if you need to um, <laughs> yeah. later on. You know, I mean, you can't thumb through a PDF to the same kind of standard, <laughs> can you? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're 
unless you've got a full CMYK proper printer at home set up to like <laughs> print off at high resolution. I think that would end up costing you more than the postage to to print out on your um, desktop inkjet printer. I don't know, with some some Kickstarters, you might break even at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what's your favourite thing that's dropped for the letterbox over the last week or two? Um, Apart from the I would... Iron Giant. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say um, Iron Giant for everything. <laughs> no, I think um, what was um what's come through recently i'm trying to think what i've had recently i can't think i don't think anything has actually turned up recently although i did get um from david barnett the writer of eve stranger um which was a black crown comic i'd missed an issue and i kind of put out a tweet to say if anybody's got one um comic shop wise let me know Uh, and david very kindly um autographed one and sent me one through the post which also came with his first issue of the books of magic uh the tim hunter book uh which was very good um so so yes i did say thank you to david online but also you know if you're listening thanks that was ace that was kind of cool i didn't expect the extra comic as well um so that was nice that was that was a nice thing to come through the post very nice Lee, have you been up to anything exciting yourself over the last week? Um, I mean, I've also been ordering things, but not as exciting. Uh, (laughs) Basically, I had to um, order a new charger for my phone because currently the uh, plastic thing on it is just falling away. So it's just exposed wires. And I think I should probably replace that just (laughs) before before it electrocutes me. Um, And also just like a tablet case as well, because the one I've got. It, it closes with magnets, and somehow the magnets have ended up the other way round. Because they fell out, and when I went to put them back in there, I ended up putting them in the wrong way, so now they just, it won't close. Um, but also, it's just, it's falling apart in general, like there's just cracks in it all over the place. So I'm just like, yeah, I should probably fix this. Sorry. And then a new microphone as well, like yeah. an actual desk microphone. Um, nothing too fancy, though, just like a blue, a blue Yeti, because... I can't afford anything too expensive. So. Are we going to be subscribing to you on Twitch anytime soon? No. <laughs> <laughs> no but they're, they're guilt-free purchases, though, Lee, because they're practical. Yeah. They're mm. not just they're not just indulgences. <laughs> They've got a purpose. I need the charger to make my phone work. I need the I, case I to protect my to, tablet. I had to resist um, a D and D, not a D and D, just a dice advent calendar. <laughs> This week it's like thirty six. <laughs> no, it's forty four quid, thirty six dollars, and it's about forty four quid. Um, and it's basically you get a different dice every single day, so you end up, you end up with what is it four sets by the end by Christmas. That reminds me of a tale I read on Reddit where somebody went into a D and D themed shop and they basically bought their first set of starter dice to start playing with that week for their first D and D role play game. And the guy said, oh, I'll never need to buy dice again then. This is all set. And it's like, the guy behind the shop just watched him out and said, soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> the thing is, how many dice do you own now? It's probably got to be in the region of hundreds, I would assume. I don't know how many sets. Because um, they're all just shoved in a bag. But as long as, that bag, as long as that bag is not full, then I do not have enough dice. That is my thing. Um... And there's very nice dice in this advent calendar. Like one of them's like a special Christmas themed one, and it's like all ornately decorated and everything. And I'm just like, I shouldn't, 
shouldn't. <laughs> I'm just imagining you like a supervillain now, running around with a bag full of dice and throwing them on the floor to like escape from places. <laughs> I mean, D4s could be used as couch drops, to be fair. <laughs> just like police coming around the corner and tripping over dice. <laughs> but only if you get the right roll. Yeah. If you get if it's not the right roll, they they <laughs> jump over it or vault over it or you know something yeah. else happen. Hey, hey, you throw enough dice, one of them's going to be a crit. <laughs> Got to try and get a nat 20. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always I always feel slightly bad when I'm buying like the essential stuff on like, shops. It's like you have no joy when it's buying stuff like tablet covers. Mm-hmm. You always feel like you should buy something else alongside it to like, enliven the packaging delivery. That's pretty much why I bought them all as one order. So I was just like, that makes it more exciting somehow. <laughs> like I actually have a basket. <laughs> I think living in the world that we are currently, anything coming from the post is now just like instantly, instantly <laughs> oh, elevated in my world. It's like, oh, there is there is something outside my front door. Look, <laughs> look, we have evidence. <laughs> Did uh, you click the option to have it gift wrapped as well, Lee? So it made it more exciting <laughs> when it arrived. I should have done. Should have done. <laughs> I mean, the the microphone is is coming with like a pop filter and like the, the furry cover thing. I can never remember the name of. And, dead cat. Um, yeah, the dead and I love I love that they're all coming on completely separate dates. So I'm doing, <laughs> I think I get the microphone like next week, and then the pop filter comes around Halloween. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's helpful. That's helpful. <laughs> yeah, sounds like fun. How about yourself, Ryan? What have you been indulging in over the past few weeks? I actually have bought quite a fair bit online over the last few weeks. Maybe maybe stuff I've been holding off purchasing for a while, but um, even though I'm not a fan of their company practices, Prime Day meant that I picked up a TV, mainly because it was just like a massive bargain. So the old TV from our living room has now come into my office, which is now illuminating the wall on the other side to where I'm recording, and the new TV is now being used by Viv to watch 90210. So that's what you want to do with a 4K HDR TV is watch something that recorded in the 90s on there. In, in 480i. <laughs> <laughs> Upscaled Luke Perry. Um, See how how bad the upscaling is. It's like, come on. <laughs> Let's extrapolate this pixel 15 times. <laughs> yeah. oh. But I also bought myself a smartwatch, so keep an eye on the geekybrimmy.com website for a review of that coming up soon. Uh, it's based on the new Snapdragon 4100 processor inside it, so it's like the new generation of Bear OS. So I want to see, I want to see how it works. And it's been good so far. I've been three, four day battery life when I'm not overusing it. Step count seems to be really good now. And it has a really funky cool display, so it looks like an old kind of Casio watch. You can see that. I see, see my watch looks like that anyway, because it is an old Casio watch. <laughs> and, then it has an, and then it has an OLED screen underneath mm. that one, so it's quite a smart way to save battery. See, I'm quite interested in, in what you say about your smart watch, because, I mean, I've got um, a Fitbit one yes. that, that, I picked, that I picked up on... Um, eBay, because I can't afford to buy brand new ones. And I would never buy an Apple Watch, even though I like Apple products. Yeah. Just because I use my hands all the time. So I end up, I have to use, I have to use screen protectors because they just get scratched and bashed and whatever it is. Uh, and I wear it all the time. 
Um, so it's kind of like, so an Apple Watch, I just think that's a lot of money for something that I'm likely to just dink when I'm yeah. doing yeah. workshops or whatever it is. Um, so yeah. robustness as well as the functionality, I quite like a you know something that's not just going to fall apart at a drop of a hat. I mean, the main thing that got me onto this one was Tick Watch Pro 3, which is the new model, uh, was the fact it had three days battery life because most of the Samsung and Apple Watches last 24 hours to yeah. 36 hours maximum, which seems absolutely pointless for if you're having a smartwatch to do like your exercise tracking because you're going to have to take yeah. it off and leave it to charge for four hours once every day or two. It's it's one of the big upsides of the Fitbit. It lasts a week. Yeah, I, I only have to charge every Sunday morning. Not that I'm not doing anything fit on a Sunday morning, apart from eating <laughs> bacon bagels and drinking freshly brewed coffee, but um, that's fine. <laughs> don't count these calories. Just show it to okay. <laughs> Don't count these calories. But, Ma- maple syrup drizzled on the top, a bit of cheese. Yeah. But should be interesting, actually, because Google purchased Fitbit quite recently. So is it going to be they're going to be doing their own Wear OS operation stuff or are they going to inter- integrate the Fitbit stuff into Wear OS? That should be uh, very interesting going forward. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, for, for what I've had so far, and I've replaced the strap as well, what I've been using it so far seems to be very good. Let's keep my step track of the it maybe just shouts at me once an hour to say, get off your bum and get out of the <laughs> That's basically what I bought it for. It's basically like a small drill sergeant on my wrist to tell me that I'm being lazy. (laughs) But other than that, I have been playing uh, Star Wars Squadrons, which is the new game from EA and Motive. And it's pretty much the only game from EA that has no DLC or microtransactions in. I know I was shocked too. (laughs) But it's made up for that by being stupidly difficult. And it's the typical thing of as soon as you bring on online play is everybody you can spend 24 hours a day playing one game or automatically mm. at the top of the ranks and anybody who's a casual player doesn't really get a look in or just gets wiped as soon as they switched on the game. But the single player mode is good fun. Uh, it's a quite a little self-contained story about six hours long and you play from both sides so you get a bit of Rebel Alliance. And a little bit of uh, Imperial. Depending on your flavour, you'll appreciate one of the one or the other stories. Very much akin to the original X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, X-Wing, TIE Fighter, X-Wing Alliance series of games. So it's all about balancing stuff rather than just fighting. So you've got like, shields, your weapons, your engines, all of which require constant maintenance as well as targeting and firing and all the fun stuff for that. Think about the single player as basically a six-hour training session on how to play the game but from i'm about halfway through the story from what i've done so far i've really enjoyed it and it's quite nice to have a little self-contained star wars story where you're not walking around with a wiffle bat lightsaber for a change i'd heard that it was hard which is partly why i've i've held off buying it even though it's kind of low priced yeah um so i'm hoping that i can use the game trial when ea play becomes part of game pass in november i think november the 10th yeah. Um. It, it merges, so I'm going to wait till then, and hopefully, um, give it a give it a run in, and um, maybe maybe see. I may I might put it on my wish list for Christmas. Maybe make somebody else. Yeah. Um, give give them I've something like that they can get me. Quite a mixed response because like the critical reception has been great, but then like you see the user score on Metacritic and it's like 30 percent lower, and you're like, hmm, okay. I think. Um, 
the problem is now is everybody expects cheap games to be casual games. <clears throat> and if you're paying less than full price, it's a case of, oh, it's just going to be a pick up and play. I'll spend a couple of hours with it and I don't really have to care too much about learning the mechanics behind the game. <clears throat> Whereas this is complete opposite one. I think I have seen some reviews which have been kind of disappointed at like the, the fact that the game was advertised as supporting mouse and keyboard, but apparently it's practically unplayable with mouse and keyboard. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so you know, seen that, and I can understand their perspective, and I can see why they would have voted it down, especially if they bought it. If EA have advertised it as having full mouse and keyboard support, but it sounds like that's more kind of, well, it'll recognise your mouse and keyboard. <laughs> Whether you can <laughs> run it is a it, it knows it's there. It goes, yeah, I can see the mouse and keyboard. It's it's just there. I'm not going to use it. I've heard the, the people using VR had a good good like good um, experience with it. That yeah. The VR is quite. It, it's um, it's definitely more geared towards the VR because when you're out of the ship, you're basically the story sections are basically you stood in a spot and you can't move around, and all you can do is like pan the camera and speak to characters. So there's no like wandering around or anything, and it's all very much set for head tracking. Mm. But I think anybody who who understands the game will be buying a joystick or playing with a gamepad anyway. I don't think mouse and keyboard works for this kind of flight simulator games. Mm. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are getting Hotas setups, which is hands-on throttle and stick, so where you can where you've got a separate throttle to control your speed and a joystick to move around. I did see that acronym around a lot and was just like, what the hell does that stand for? And eventually I, I was like, oh yeah, I looked it up and I was like, oh well, it's just a flight stick, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Until Ryan actually cool. said it then, I didn't know what it meant, and yeah. now I do. It's literally like, what it means. So. It, it's not hot ass in the way that most people think of a hot ass, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which you might get if you sat in an X-wing for a long time. You, I don't. I don't know if they've got, um, you know, seat warmers or anything. I mean, um, I mean, if you get shot by an enemy ship, then you certainly will have a hot ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on what kind of pleather they're using or Dura steel here. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, is your seat lined in torn torn skin, or is it just a case of it's that it's like a cheap, crappy Uber plastic covered seat in the back of the car? Perhaps that's what they missed out on that game is that you, before you get to fly, you can trip out, trick out your X-wing, so you could get like a really big stereo with some nice bass speakers behind you and stuff. So you can play, yeah, you can play the Beastie Boys as you're shooting at Tie Fighters. Keith, you can trick out your X-wing. Oh, okay, you, you can buy bobbleheads, you can buy disco balls, you can buy little holograms in the corner of stuff. You can buy loads of things to customize your ship. That's kind okay, of okay. You've sold the game to me now. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. like that's the kind of like bonus for going up in the ranks. Basically, you'll earn, earn points towards unlocking all these stuff, like different paint jobs and everything. So you can you can really customize your craft and your helmet as well. So good fun stuff to do. But um, it's it's a solid thumbs up from me. But don't go in expecting it's going to be you know instantly know how to play it. I think we've been so dumbed down now with like vehicle sections on games where it's just drive forward and press right trigger and that's all you have to do. It, it's very much you need to learn the different types of ships, how the shields work, 
why why would you fly an A wing versus an X wing on certain missions? So like a Y wing is like the biggest, strongest hull, strongest shields, but it flies like a brick. Whereas an A wing is really fast, but don't go into any, don't try and attack a capital ship with it. So it's all those kind of little mechanics behind it. Leah, I know you're not the hugest Star Wars fan, but I think even you would enjoy this game a little bit. Looking, I'm uh, not generally a fan of like that genre, so yeah. That, I mean, that's the it's like Fallen Order was definitely kind of more of interest to me because of yeah. just the type of game it was. But I again haven't played that either. So yeah. it's slightly amazing, isn't it, when it comes to the end of the. Uh, time for renegotiation on who gets the Star Wars license. That has been actually two quite good Star Wars licenses, and Battlefront 2's finally got fixed. Mm. Almost like they're trying to convince them that they could keep the license, you would say. I'd, I'd love it if Disney pulled them off after Battlefront 2. <laughs> Just like, look, you've got a few more years left on this contract, you need to actually make some good games for once. Yeah. <laughs> but considering they had the license for nearly, what, it's got to be coming up to what? Six, seven years now that they've had. No, they have. Yeah, I know they've got the license for ten years. I just don't know when that started. But then you've got. I know that Battlefront Two was like the second game they released in that yeah, in that time frame. Yeah, I think it's Battlefront, Battlefront Two, Fallen Order, and Squadrons. So there's been four Star Wars releases yeah. since EA took over the license. And if you compare that to something like when Jedi Knight, uh, well, when Lucas Arts were around. They'd be pumping out a Star Wars game every other year, yep. at worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's been it's been quite a barren field for Star Wars content. And it's it's weird that they've done that. You know, you've got this massive license that's guaranteed to sell, and you're just not doing anything with it. Yeah, and there's always much more chance to go into different stories because, like, um, Knights of the Old Republic's one of my favorite RPGs of all time. Uh, the that's G- the thing that, that throws me off, especially, is the fact there's not been. Knights of the Old Republic, especially because they do have Bioware. Because they've got the Old Republic and they want everybody to play an MMO where you have a lightsaber that uses handles like a wiffle bat and you just go mm-hmm. stuff and bonk it on the head repeatedly until the numbers <laughs> fall out. <laughs> yeah, I okay. It'd be interesting to see if they'd open the license up and get other people involved and have more fun Star Wars stuff. You know, see. Mm-hmm. Keith, how about yourself? Um... I kind of it was curious that that no games associated with the films were really released outside of Lego and Disney Infinity, um, which I quite I quite enjoyed the Disney Infinity game because I, I got the little action figures as as well. But yeah. it's a curious one that um, we had quite a lot of content that was related to the prequels. So we had kind of all of that. There was Jedi Starfighter. There was quite a few decent enough games, and there was games yeah. based on the actual films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think they just don't know what to do. How they can fit um, a Star Wars game into the kind of um, gaming landscape that we have now. I think that the gaming's changed since yeah. um, kind of the heyday of the Star the, the Star Wars games. Um, you know, it's surprising that we haven't had um, Star Wars content in in other games licensed into other games like we've seen Marvel and, and other films do uh, in, into certain games, but. Um, they put Star Wars content in The Sims. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's just, Out of nowhere. <laughs> I think this whole thing about every game having to be an open world RPG now, you think mm. Star Wars would be making capital on that one, being like the main focus of the industry. But um, 
Yeah. They seem to just... I've, I've heard of numerous cancelled Star Wars projects where stuff's been started off and dropped halfway through and it seems to be a case of they just don't know what to do with it and get it right. I mean, the thing with that was especially the um, the big single-player game that they were working on, which had, you know, you had the director of Uncharted, you had the producer of Assassin's Creed, and you had the designer of Portal yeah. all working on it. And I'm just like, I would have bought that game just on those three names. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not even in that into Star Wars, and you cancelled that one. So Yeah, it was like the um, Rogue Squadron game that was being developed by the guys who'd done... Um, Time, what was it? Not time crisis. Time splitters. Um, time splitters. Yeah. So, you know, I've I've seen some footage of that, and that looked that looked quite good. Um, I'm just imagining Manco making a Star Wars game now. <laughs> I I would I would go to an arcade where I could draw a Star Wars blaster and press a press a pedal and shoot stormtroopers. I would go to an arcade and I would play the heck out of a game like that. I mean, that would be perfect for a Clone Wars game because you could just have mm. lots and lots of battle droids just heading straight for you, and you were yeah fine for kids as well. Yeah, Time Crisis Star Wars Edition. Yeah, <laughs> that would be good. Han and Han and Chewie going at <laughs> it. It'd be great if you if you're bringing it up to the uh, the, the the later films. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm now dreaming about that. Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd lose like the machine gun, shotgun. It'd just be blaster, blaster, <laughs> blaster, different blaster. <laughs> well, t- there are technically lots of weapons in Star Wars with all strange uh, numbers and stuff. Everybody just want the bowcaster. That, yeah. That'd be like that'd be the big drop. You get the bowcaster or the thermal um, detonator. Yeah, <laughs> I think, um... <laughs> and the one nobody wants is the lightsaber. What? I think a Star Wars Time Crisis would be perfect if they had the uh, level of quality voice acting that the original Time Crisis. (laughs) If we're going with quality voice acting, I want a House of the Dead two level. They're on the they're on a par with each other. Yeah, it's that era of like light gun games where it's like, oh yeah, we've made a story, but we don't actually know any actors, so we'll just. Get Steve from accounts to do something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will hear nothing bad said against Typhoon of the Dead. It is one of the greatest Typhoon figures <laughs> of all time. The greatest thing about Typhoon the Dead, Typhoon of the Dead, was when I saw it in an actual arcade in Japan <laughs> with, a, with a keyboard and everything. And I was just like, "Why is this here?" <laughs> <laughs> Should really say what else is coming up in the show now, shouldn't we? Right, so there's more. There's more to come. So we've had our Star Wars game roundup. Uh, next coming up uh, is the results of our alien setting the scene challenge set by Matt a few weeks ago. Matt sent his picture in. Uh, I'll pop these up on Twitter after the show is released, so you can go and vote on there, and we'll pop a link in the show notes. And we'll also be talking about the iPhone 12 release and iPhones. Is there some spurious claims going on about um, carbon footprint production here? And Keith's looking at a few Kickstarters, which we already mentioned a few, but there might be some Kickstarters coming up which you might have some interest in. But we'll be back after this. And now it's time for that part of the show where we take a look at some of the new and up 
upcoming comic books in the Geeky Brummy pool list. My first pick is Strange Adventures number 6 from DC's Black Label. This is written by Tom King with art by Mitch Gerrards and Doc Evan Shanner. Tom King can do no wrong right now. He seems to be DC's go-to guy and on the strength of this series I can understand why. He's a few other books out in the DC line but this is the one that I want to single out. It's great to see Adam Strange in action again and the art partnership of Gerrards and Shanna is just perfect. The mix of real world and sci-fi action flows seamlessly and every issue is a joy to read. If you've not already picked this up, I recommend you do. Next up is Once in Future number 12 from Boom Studios, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Dan Mora and Tamra Bonvillain. I can't believe this is issue 12, wherever the month's gone. I would like it if this book had twice as many pages each issue. There is so much going on and Gillen's deep dive into British folklore is fascinating. Mora and Bonvillain work a special kind of magic on every page and this book is a delight to read. It's so rich and full of texture. I highly recommend this comic. Then we have Bill and Ted Are Doomed number 2 from Dark Horse Comics. This is written by Evan Dorkin with art by Roger Langridge. This series takes me back. This book is just having so much fun filling in the blank between Bogus Journey and Face the Music. It's lovely to see Rufus in action again and the book is filled with lots of little joyful moments. Whilst I'd have liked to see Dorkin take on the art as well, Roger Langridge is bringing his A-game to the book with a style that reminds me of the glory days of underground comics. I'm having a blast reading this and so should you. Then we have New Mutant number 13 from Marvel Comics. This is written by Ed Brisson with art by Rod Rees. I'm enjoying this revival of the New Mutants. In this issue, the book crosses over with the major X of Swords storyline. We get to see Warlock again and he appears to turn himself into a sword. I love Warlock and Doug so I have to know where this is going. Some other comics coming up soon. We have Excalibur number 13 from Marvel. This is written by Jonathan Hickman. Tinny Howard with art by R.B. Silver. This is the next chapter in the X of Swords saga. We also have X-Men number 13, again from Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Azar. Not surprisingly, this is the next chapter in the X of Swords saga. And then we have You Look Like Death, Tales from the Umbrella Academy number 2 from Dark Horse Comics. This is written by Gerard Way, Sean Simon, with art by ING Colbard. If you have enjoyed the Umbrella Academy on TV recently, I highly recommend you pick up their comic adventures, which are equally as superb. And coming up in a couple of weeks, we have Colonel Weird Cosmogog number one from Dark Horse Comics. This is written by Jeff Lemire with art by Tyler Cook. And this is a spin-off from the highly popular Black Hammer series. Next, we have Star Trek Year 5 number 15 by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly with art by Angel Hernandez. This is a wonderful series exploring the final year of the USS Enterprise. Also in the same week, we have X of Swords Stasis number 1 from Marvel. This is chapter 11 of the X of Swords saga, written by Jonathan Hickman, Tinny Howard with art by Mahmoud Azar and Pepe Larraz. Also out will be X-Ray Robot number 3. This is from Dark Horse Comics and is written by Michael Allred and is also drawn by Michael Allred. And if you are a fan of his Madman series, I highly recommend you pick up this fantastic comic. And finally, we have what is possibly the best comic on shelves right now. It's John Constantine Hellblazer number 11 from DC's Black Label, written by Simon Spuriat with art by Aaron Campbell. We know this series will be coming to an end with issue 12, but it has been a phenomenal run. I highly recommend everybody buys this comic. Please do pick it up. Pick up the trade paperback and hopefully we will get more Hellblazer from Cy Spuriat and Aaron Campbell in the near future. For more comics that will be coming out over the next few weeks, please do check out our Twitter stream every Wednesday. That's at Geeky Brummy, where I'll be putting up preview pages from some of the other comics of note each Wednesday in New Comic Book Day. And now, back to the main show. 
last issue, Matt set us the challenge of recreating a scene from the classic sci-fi movie, Alien. So we all went away, beamed off in our little areas, and created our homage to scenes from Alien. Uh, Keith, do you want to start us off first? Okay. Um, I have picked a moment from relatively early on in the film uh, when Kane first enters the derelict ship uh, on LV-426 and encounters the um, facehugger eggs in the catacombs of the ship. Um, so what I've done to recreate that photograph is, obviously, I've used a uh, selection of half a dozen eggs in an egg tray. Free, free uh, range, I hope. Uh, yes, they are free range, British free range eggs. Uh, I've used a miniature flashlight and I've also used a um, very old Luke Skywalker in Stormtrooper uh, action doll. Uh, it's a big one. It's like a like an action man, but Luke Skywalker. Uh, and then to recreate the classic look of the uh, Nostromo crew um, flight suits, I've used a um, dosage ball from my uh, detergent bowl. Uh, and I've arranged that in a way to recreate that scene where Kane leans over uh, and is then um, ha- has the face hugger burst out and do him. So this is just the moment just before the face hugger comes out. So it's just as he's leaning over the eggs just, for the first just time. Just as he's found the eggs, yeah. Very, yeah. very impressive. Um, I thought it was one of the clone troopers. <laughs> it is a very no, old um, thing, sorry, it's, a, it's a, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of inherited it from somebody else. Um, so it's got splashes of paint and stuff on it. It's very, it's very mucky, but um, yeah, it was, it was photographed at the top of the stairs uh, on an afternoon with the doors shut to get the um, dark background. Uh, and then the flashlight used um, to, to give me the, that, that signature Ridley Scott uh, look. Um, so, yeah, so hopefully um, people will recognize that um, iconic shot. Uh, from Alien. Very impressive. Lee, do you want to go next? So what I've done is I've recreated the, the iconic vent scene where <laughs> Davids gets eaten in the vent. Um, and I recreated this using uh, just four props. Uh, a Nathan Drake action figure, uh, a Charmander action figure, which is slightly out of shot, so it's just the flame to represent the flamethrower. Um <laughs> A copy of Aliens on DVD to represent the alien itself, and a um, box that my mouse came in opened up as the vent itself. Uh, so yeah, this was shot through that box <laughs> to create the effect of a vent. And uh, yeah, it's the point where the alien sneaks up behind Dallas and he turns around and gets gets got basically. That's Spoilers. Probably. <laughs> that's very very impressive. I... Good work. I tried. It's to, it. I wanted to try and get the torch in there somewhere, but I didn't have a small enough light source to make it work. <laughs> it's it's very good. I think we. I yeah. think we're going to be able to. Like you know, we could put this out as a book, uh, 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 the geeky brummy adaptation of of Alien. Um, it's also using a very things found angle. around the house. It's also a very dramatic angle that was totally a creative choice, and not just because I'm bad at taking photos. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because it was awkward trying to shoot through this box. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very tough round this this, this time round. 
Alright, are we ready for mine? Yes. I, I also <laughs> recreated a famous scene using Kane. And I uh, used an old t-shirt, an old white t-shirt, which I cut a hole in. I uh, used my wife's cat plushie, which is a very long cat plushie. I put a carrier bag over its head and covered the carrier bag red to get that signature pulse of blood <laughs> when, when the chest buster comes out of Kane on the kitchen table on the Nostromo. <laughs> and I've actually uh, photoshopped myself into the background over the top of uh, John Hurt here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is going to be a real tricky one for people to vote on it, it's mm-hmm. quite impressive um, yeah. th- th- those are three very strong um, entries really there that, that genuinely do recall the original Yeah, it, it was lots of many photos taken to get the pose exactly right here <laughs> right um, one take that was all I that was all I needed <laughs> Right, Matt has sent me the description of his image, and it is a very similar point to yours, Keith. I will send the image over first. I will say that when when your picture, Ryan, when it's smaller as the thumbnail, it does look kind of like a piranha plant. (laughs) (laughs) It does. I was trying to get the carrier bag right, and it just kept turning. (laughs) So for Matt's picture... Matt has also recreated the iconic scene where Kane discovers the alien nest and encounters the first egg. This is the moment before we just meet our first ever facehugger. He used the Death Star model wrapped in tinfoil to make the egg and improvised with a Pyrex dish for the the bowl, for the astronaut's helmet, and some slight photo editing to adjust the colours and make the tinfoil look less, less foily. So has that come through yet? It must be a very big image. Matt's obviously using uh, top of the range Ridley Scott approved cameras, um, you know, to keep to keep the quality high. Um, I can see a thumbnail of it that looks looks very dark at the moment, um, but yeah, I think this is going to be this is going to be a difficult um, choice for 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 listeners. Yeah. So so it was a Pyrex bowl in a hoodie to get the spacesuit. Very inventive from Matt there. It's uh, you know I'm I'm quite impressed that we've all managed to recreate very well uh, a scene from a from a very expensively made film. Yeah. I think I think in our future a low budget adaptation uh, in a la kind of Black um, um, Jack Black and um, Be Kind Rewind and the Swedish Swedish uh, films. <laughs> or, or I'm going to turn it into one of the um, I used to love them when I was a kid the photo novel of a film. <laughs> Because DVDs and, and Blu-rays didn't exist then. And the only way you could uh, enjoy your favourite films was to have a um, the story retold with stills from, from, the, from the film. Uh, my favourite being, of course, the classic uh, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, which they couldn't even afford colour photographs. And it was all black and white. <laughs> black and white photographs of, of The Wrath of Khan. I think I <laughs> Even my Battlestar Galactica photo novel was in colour. I think I inherited a few of those, and most of them don't even follow the plot, if I recall correctly. It's just like <laughs> selected scenes from the film, and like a 20 minute gap where they're just, oh, they're now here. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit the closest like... I've ever had to those would have been the Wallace and Gromit storyboard collection. 
options, which is a bit different. <laughs> Wallace and Gromit recreate aliens. Now that I would. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we'll get these up in a Twitter poll. We'll run the poll for a week, and we shall see how the voting goes. But I, th- I think this is our best one yet. It's pretty. It's pretty good. I think everybody's pulled out their all the stops yes. uh, for this. It's like, yeah, we we're all we all want to win. <laughs> <laughs> There's no prize just 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 for just for victory on this. Well, yeah. the, the winner gets to pick the next one, but that's yeah. that's the prize. <laughs> <laughs> Keith gets to look through his toy collection again for the next one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's one of those times where I could go, yeah, I. Uh, we could do the um, the final battle of Endgame. Uh, I, 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 I could do that, or, or or some kind of Star Wars thing, or whatever. It's, uh, I'd should, have to be I'd have to be I fair and pick something. Come on, the first movie because I've got a few to do. <laughs> I mean, I've I've got enough Star Wars stuff to be getting on with, and I've got a couple of Transformers, <laughs> if but just not Michael Bay ones. <laughs> if you're making Transformers the movie, I'd be fine. Yeah, the the classic one with 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 the non spiky transformers, with, with uh, Judd Nelson and Leonard Nimoy in starring roles, and of course the voice of Orson Welles as Unicron. Yes, who didn't die um, five minutes into the recording and have Leonard Nimoy recreate recreate his voice <laughs> for the rest of the film at all. No, <laughs> that's his last movie credit as well. I love that fact that Orson Welles' last ever movie credit was Transformers the movie. <laughs> what a way to go out from Citizen Kane to Transformers the movie that's a career there it's kind of like <laughs> Raul Julia one of his last roles being Street Fighter but yeah that, but that's a great film now <laughs> it's great in its terribleness and to be fair he's ca- he carries the whole movie so oh, yeah. he is spectacular in it isn't he I mean, you know, he... I mean his speech to Chun Li in that film should have been in such a better film as well. Yeah, it's like you remember it as the day I come to your village and slaughtered your parents. For me, it was Tuesday. It's Tuesday. <laughs> I kind of miss the days of films like that because I'm thinking, you know, surely we should be at the point where we could have a a, a movie revival with, you know, Dua Lipa or Billie Eilish in in taking the place of Kylie Minogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, one of our top pop stars. Uh, could be in a, a very bad adaptation of a classic well, video game. Well, if we're looking for like bad adaptations of video games, Paul W.S. Anderson does have us covered with the upcoming Monster Hunter. <laughs> um, well, he decided that Monster Hunter, what if it's set during the Iraq War? That seems to be that seems to be the theme. And it's like, Monster Hunter is set in a fantasy world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen the trailer. Flirting with a palico, which is one of the cat people from Monster Hunter. So we've is, got yeah. that confirmed now. <laughs> is that this because he's been kicked off the Resident Evil franchise finally after the? Uh... <laughs> but you'd think the Capcom would just say, "No, you can't touch any of our other properties either." <laughs> but no, they let him touch that one. I mean, maybe they're letting him start off so they can get the diminishing returns and the direct-to-VHS sequels, and then they'll start again on a different franchise. Mm. I mean, I'm waiting for Mega Man the movie. As long as it's as long as it's the box art, the US box art Mega Man, <laughs> then that's that's the movie I want to see. I wouldn't be surprised, Lee. I wouldn't be surprised. 
Anyway, to return to the topic of discussion, our alien pictures will be up on Twitter. Go vote on there, and we'll see the results next episode. Apple have released their latest version of what looks like exactly the same phone as the last three times. But it's the iPhone 12. arrived a couple of days ago at time of recording. So it's the iPhone 12, the 12 mini, the 12 Pro, and the 12 Pro Max. So pretty much spamming out as more iPhones as possible. And I think the major change this time has just been that they have what's known as MagSafe attached to it now. Which is basically wireless charging or uh, accessories you can just magnetise to the back of the phone. But at the same time they announced they're not going to include earbuds or a charger in the box. What they'll do is throw in a USB-C to lightning cable and said most people have chargers at home so why would you why would we need to include a charger and it's going to reduce our carbon footprint i'd like to hear your guys thoughts on this to my mind that's a bit like well no you're just going to charge extra for the charger and it's a bit scalping for it especially being usb-c not usb-a which fair enough i have a billion of those chargers knocking around the house I think I think the humanity's foundation will be to drown in USB-A chargers at some point. But for them to only give a USB-C to lightning cable? Hmm. And Keith, you're an iPhone user. Are you tempted to upgrade? No. Because um, I kind of upgrade four generations behind. Um, because the, the, the biggest drawback of, of any of these devices, especially in the Apple... Um, biosphere is the expense of it um if you're not already kind of on a contract where you can upgrade and keep a 40 or 50 pound a month um payment for your stuff to get your phone um they're hugely expensive i think they've priced them slightly differently now so um i think in their tiered of, of levels they're slightly slightly better than kind of think the thing when the 11s came out um but again, the speed and the change in the cameras and all the rest of it, just it isn't enough for, to warrant leaping up from where I am um, with an iPhone 8 because um, that, that does pretty much everything I need to do. All the devices that I need to connect to it will still connect to it. Um, you know, They haven't made it USB charging in the actual phone itself, which seems silly. All, all really they're allowing you to do is to let people charge their phones from the more modern uh, Apple laptops, which have USB-C yeah. uh, ports, um, so yeah, yeah, it's an it's an it's an incremental upgrade. It's not really doing anything that I kind of think, wow, that's you know a step a step up from from where we were. Yeah, great, you might I might be able to watch 4K and have Dolby Atmos or whatever it is, but I haven't got access to any of that stuff. Additionally. I'm probably not going to take out a 5G contract, so all of the speed advances that you could get um, with the 5G ability—it's—it's it's kind of—it's—it's it's there, but it's going to be there when I get a second-hand one three or four years from now. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, it's nice, but it's hugely expensive, and that money can be spent um, elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the prices of the add-ons for the. Um... MagSafe charger and for the USB-C charger. So for the MagSafe charger, it's £39. For the USB-C power adapter, for the 20-watt version, it's £19. And for the 30-watt version, it's £50. So to me, for them not to include this in the box and still be charging 
more than the last generation of phones. This seems to be a very, very non-carbon friendly move by them. Especially if people are going to have to buy these adapters and cables and chargers anywhere. Anyway, because all they're going to do is create an extra shipping on top of this as well. So they'll be doubling the amount of shipping going on here. Uh, I completely agree with your point. I think we've reached this peak of technology now with mobile phones. And I don't think there's much more that can be done with them. And it seems to be the case that they just slap a camera on each year now or up the resolution slightly or put an optical zoom lens in and that um, the technology in phones I think there's not much place else we can go now. Yeah, I don't think there's I don't think there's that technological um, leap that can that can be put in one of those devices. I mean, I've been, I've, uh, we watched The Expanse. And I also used to watch a show uh, called uh, Earth something, a, a, a Gene Roddenberry show from Earth, kind of mid-90s. Wasn't it Earth Final Conflict or something like that? Yeah. So I, what I want is is that kind of device. So like in um, The Expanse, it's you can expand the screen and it, it looks like a bit of plexiglass, but you can do a lot more with that. I think that's the technological advance that I want now so that the, the phone part itself is quite either becomes much smaller and you just reel it out or yeah. you, you, you've you got kind of some virtual reality or some way of kind of like you can throw content to other devices. You, you've got things like screen mirroring and stuff like that, which you, you can kind of do a little bit of that already. Yeah. But basically that that form factor and a, and a screen, even though they've reduced the bezels again and whatever it is, it's on a device that small, is it? Does it really matter? And if I want to watch content, I'm going to watch it on a television. Um, you know, I don't use my phone to watch films or TV shows. It's podcasts, yeah. browsing the internet, bit of social media, grabbing quick photos like my alien photo from earlier when it's just like I've got to do um, and getting close. Um, you know, uh, Facebook. You know, who who needs one of these devices to put stuff on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter? Every phone design looks exactly the same. It's just a glass slab with an aluminium bezel around the side of it. Uh, I mean, I know we've got stuff like the Galaxy Fold and the Moto Motorola Razor Flip that are doing stuff with foldable screens, but I don't think the technology is ripe enough there for those to be anything rather than just prestige devices presently. I, mean, I, wouldn't... I think they're just gimmicks as well at the moment to get themselves back in there i mean the iphone for me works brilliantly because it fits within the kind of um workflow that i've got so from computer to ipad to phone that fits in brilliantly and it's intuitive it feels right for me the way everything's laid out and i know where everything is so i've just got used to it i mean would you go back into the iphone ecosystem now if you're being a new entrant I probably would if if I if I'd kind of if I was an Android user now I've I've had to use occasionally other people's Android devices. It, for me, it just feels slightly counterintuitive, but that's because I'm in, I'm unfamiliar with it. So um, again, I think if you're if you're if you're a an Android user, you've got you've got to look at you know what additional stuff you're getting from that. I mean, you've had you you guys have had the widgets and kind of home screen design stuff for years. And that's only just come to iPhone now with iOS 14. Um, so, yeah, it swings and roundabouts, really. I think it's budget is the is the key thing. Um, 
if it's 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 a it's a big purchase it's a big money purchase mm-hmm. i mean it's a thing now where most phones it's a bit of what two three year contract most places want you to sign up to now gone are the days where you'd have a 12 month contract and a new phone at the end of 12 months everywhere wants to push for at least two to three years now on a contract deal because the cost of these devices and lee where would you go for an iphone now I mean, I'm not a fan of Apple stuff in general. Um, and it's stuff like this, you know, they're still charging the same amount as in, as previous iPhones and they're not including the, you know, kind of essential stuff is being missed out. And even like the whole USB-C thing, like I would have to buy a new charger to make that work because the only chargers I've got are like standard USB. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that I've just never really got on very well with Apple products either, just because I've used Macs in the past. I've used, I've sort of played around on iPhones and things and just, I just don't get on with the, like how they do things very well. I think, you know, my general impression of Apple is they've, they've, they're very expensive and overpriced for what they are. When I feel like I've got a lot more flexibility with devices from elsewhere. It's it's that funny thing, isn't it, where the Apple ecosystem is a massive walled garden, and that's why the epic lawsuit's going on at the minute, whereas if you're in the Apple ecosystem, you're very unlikely to get out because all your music, all your iTunes purchases, everything's integrated with your sole account, and you can't really use iTunes or Apple TV or anything to the same extent on an app Android device, even though the app might be available. But at the same time, it has its plus points because I suppose if you're that ingrained into iOS, you know where everything's going to be before you even start. But at the same time, I mean, I've always been an Android user and I don't think I could lose that flexibility. And and the whole restrictiveness with the whole thing about jailbreaking an iPhone means that you're not covered under warranty anymore. Even if you want to just change your home screen, you have to basically break the protection on your iPhone to do that but on Android it's a case of it's you can make it as easy or as complex as you want. And it's something I find interesting because you mentioned about the the Apple also the Apple Epic legal battle and everything is the fact that like you know yes the, the iOS is a walled garden but I find it odd that they've dragged Google into that because Android isn't you know bearing in mind that in that particular case Fortnite can be sold through another store, and I have found it on another store on my phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that is kind of the key difference, and I find it odd that they've dragged that into it. I know that's slightly off topic, but it is. No, it, kind of shows, it kind of shows the difference of the two sort of the two operating systems, really. Yeah, I think, it, I think the case with Google is because if you're buying an Android phone, it's automatically going to have the Play Store on it. It's a bit like when Microsoft got their antitrust regulation back in I think it was mm-hmm. the early 2000s over Internet Explorer because it came as a default browser and it was already installed before you switched your PC on for the first time and that you automatically used Internet Explorer and it was a case of most people then wouldn't go on to use Firefox well, or Chrome. Yeah, but the point of Internet Explorer is you go on there and you use it to download Chrome or Firefox <laughs> and then never use it again. <laughs> but you can't really do that for the Play Store, I suppose. But... Uh, <laughs> But you can have the same argument about Amazon as well with all their Fire devices. It's all through their Amazon App Store. 
at the same time. I think we've definitely reached a point now where there is no real point in upgrading a phone every year. And I think I think this is probably going to be the biggest struggle for Apple for a while now to make the value look like it's worth anything from upgrading through an iPhone 10 or 11 or even as Key said even earlier than that 8 or 9 I don't think the value is there anymore for an upgrade unless they're just going to do what is always rumoured and start slowing down older phones using iOS updates well the most recent upgrade to my phone was just because my old phone the battery was just going so I was like might as well just and I think it's like some apps just ran slower in general just because technology had moved on yeah. So it was just a case of, well, I think now's the time to get a new phone, but that's but that's really it. I'm not really interested in buying a new phone every year because no. what's the point? The one I've got works fine. Yeah, I don't think it's as new as an exciting anymore, and I don't think there's enough change in the design language to justify it as well. I mean, my Asus Zenfone 6, I've had a year now, the latest model's out. I have no interest in upgrading. It's got a Snapdragon 865 processor. It's got 4 gigabytes or six gigabytes of RAM. It's got 128 gigs of storage. I can put a micro SD card on it. It's got a headphone jack, which seems to be the as rare as hen's teeth on phones nowadays. So there's nothing for me to move on to. If anything, it's stuff gets taken away every year. I mean, Touch ID was a massive thing for Apple for years on their phones with having a Touch ID button on it. And they replaced it with Face ID. But a lot of people feel that's a step backwards because it's slower, it's not as secure. And I know a lot of people who are iPhone users preferred having a Touch ID where you could just thumb the button and then that would unlock your account rather than having to hold your, hold your phone up to your face for 30 seconds and wait for the cameras to pick it up. And the problem as well with that is that a lot of people have found problems with facial recognition in general. Um, and usually it's like darker skin tones yep. tend to just defeat facial recognition because they were never designed with that. And of course, there's a whole argument that this is why you need diversity in tech a bit more. Yeah. Because, you know, the reason that happened is because you didn't have any black people on the team developing it. So they didn't think, oh, well, maybe someone with a dark skin tone isn't yeah. going to get picked up by this recognition. And it's just, and it, that's another problem with it. So. And it also, for differently able people, I mean, what if you're a blind person and that, you know, you can mm. use Touch ID and use mm. text to speech on your phone for that. But, if it uses facial recognition, how do you know that you're pointing correctly if you if you're poorly sighted, for example? It seems to be it seems to be stuff gets taken away a lot more now and then charged backwards. And I think this the latest example as we mentioned with the USB C to lightning connector. I mean the new MacBooks all have USB C charging on them. I'm sure it could have been something they could have very easily implemented. My phone has USB C on it. So even if they had a USB-C to a USB-C cable, yeah, fair enough. But you can pick up a USB-A to C cable very cheaply, a USB-C to Lightning cable. It seems to be all about maximising the price out of the customers rather than actually being a technical innovation. It is that thing of using the Lightning connection as well, which is their own proprietary thing. Yeah. And every time we ha- we see a proprietary thing, that always pushes the prices up because they're like, "Well, this is ours, and we make it, and we can sell it to you for whatever price we want." Yeah. You know, it always reminds me of the PlayStation Vita's storage, which were like they're not quite micro SDs; they're selling these very specific thing, and they were always they were always like sixty, seventy quid kind of thing. And I was like, 
you know, this is an essential part of the Vita, and you're just doing, and that's partly where the Vita failed, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've been getting it now with the new Series X console, is they're basically using what is an NVMe SSD in a special expansion card. All right, it's similar pricing to what a one terabyte hard drive is now, and that's, that's kind of fair enough. But at the same time, again, it's a priority connection where it's using current technology in a format that's locked off and walled off. Yep. Keith, I mean, any more thoughts? I think it's a it's a, another case of wait and see what happens with the um, change in the OS, um, because that's that's where the kind of for that where they're kind of almost forcing people to upgrade yeah. by removing functionality as um, OS um, updates. So either kind of the throttling um, batteries or the speed because older machines can't um, operate that. And I think uh, on iPhone, on phones particularly, that seems to be more of an issue than it has been with kind of the desktop machines, which tend to kind of you can tend to kind of keep you know chugging along for a good. Yeah, six seven years. If 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 you want to just be kind of doing uh, ordinary stuff, um, but I think that's again rather than with the the kind of physical architecture of the devices. Like you know, I'd, I'd be looking for another kind of leap in the operating systems, um, something that kind of makes it worthwhile. Yeah, uh, upgrading. Um, you know, as they look nice, it looks cool. It would be nice to have the flashiest, newest things. There's nothing in this new device that I can't do with what I've got already. Yeah, yeah, it seems a bit of a pointless generation, to be honest. Unfortunately, for Apple. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they'll hit their two trillion dollar market cap another way. They probably expect people to buy those lovely Pro PCs with the honeycomb aluminium front. <laughs> Which, if you had an infinite amount of money, would be fine. Welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my games of the week for the past few weeks. First up, a couple of weeks ago, my game of the week was Crash Bandicoot 4 It's About Time. Because I was massively indifferent to Star Wars, so the big release that caught my eye that week was Crash. So while the others go off and play spaceships, I'm more interested in a marsupial in jeans. As you can probably tell from the 4 in the title, this is a direct sequel to the original Naughty Dog trilogy of the 90s and the Insane trilogy, and seemingly jettisoning every game released since from canon. Crash 4 is looking like a lot of fun from the gameplay I've seen, lots of diverse locations, the same fluid platforming as the classic titles, and a range of playable characters including Crash's sister Coco, main villain Neo Cortex, and flamethrower-toting Dingo Dial. I've not been excited to see a new Crash game since 2000's Crash Bash, but I'm excited for this one. And since the developer for this worked on the Insane Trilogy, there's a good chance this one will follow the design philosophies that made the original game so great. Here's hoping I won't be disappointed like I was with Crash Bash. Game of the Week last week was Eichenfell, an RPG set in a school for witches as a young girl named Marita heads off to search for her sister Safina, who is a student there. 
Upon arrival, it's clear that something strange is going down as the school is on lockdown, magical creatures are getting aggressive, and Marie, previously lacking in magic abilities herself, gains the ability to shoot fire about. I've played a little bit of this as it's been released on Game Pass, and so far it's a charming little RPG with a cute visual style, some potentially interesting combat that uses spacing and positioning, along with Mario RPG-style timed hits, and most importantly, the save points are cats. So if you're looking for a new magical school to visit and fall in love with, here you go. And finally this week, Game of the Week is Return One Way Trip, a horror-themed point-and-click adventure. After a group of teens go camping in the woods, they get separated and protagonist Saki must head out to find her friends. As she explores, she finds an old abandoned train lodged in a tunnel and discovers dark secrets hidden within, sparking a story featuring ghosts, time travel and unrequited love, all represented in a stylish pixel art look. I've played through this already and really enjoyed the atmosphere of this one. It's short, but it's engaging and interesting in both atmosphere and storyline, and I recommend checking it out. Some of the puzzles are a little obtuse, but what else is new for a point and click? In summary, Crash Bandicoot 4 is published by Activision and developed by Toys for Bob, and released for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Eichafell is published by Humble Games and developed by Happy Ray Games, and is released for pretty much everything, including Game Pass, which I mentioned. Return One Way Trip is published by Green Man Gaming and developed by Red Ego Games. It's available for pretty much everything as well. And with that, let's get back to the main show. Been a lot going on in the crowdfunding world over the last few weeks. Uh, Keith, you've selected some highlights for us in the world of comics, uh, and me and Lee will chip in with a couple too, I think. Yeah, um, it seems it seems to be a kind of golden age for some great material coming out, um, self-published and um, funded through Kickstarter, kind of rather than through um, the big the big two or the other comic book formats. Um, some of the big ones that have been recently um, we mentioned earlier in the show was Duncan Jones and Alex DeCampi's uh, Maddie, which was is kind of the third um, story in the Moon Mute trilogy. Um, and that kind of obviously that got funded quite quickly. Some big names behind that, but the other beautiful thing about that is it's lots of different artists uh, contributing to those, um, and the the kind of the way that they are paying the artists and stuff is really really kind of useful. Um, another one that's been uh, funded recently was the um, Tales from the Quarantine uh, comic, which is four hundred creatives and from sixty countries. Uh, kind of doing the stories from that and that's coming to us from uh, red cabin comics uh, and the nice thing about that is that it's a uk-based um, operation so it's good f- good for uk buyers because we're not going to get stung with a lot of the kind of um, excessive postage that we get a lot of these things are usually um, kind of american-based um, but the ones that kind of a little closer to home obviously uh, the 77 comic has successfully funded itself three times through kickstarter uh, and I think what they're going to do is that every issue will be released uh, in that kind of way. You'll be able to get that through through Kickstarter. Um, but one that's, that's available now, already smashed its funding goals, uh, is the second issue of Brawler, which is coming to us from Time Bomb Comics and friend of the show, Steve Tanner. Uh, and that's, again, another one of these uh, beautiful anthology uh, style comics. The first issue came out in 2019. Um, which was pretty good. I kind of like the format. I kind of like the selection of, of uh, stories that were in there. Um, so kind of that's another one that um, that that uh, I've got behind um, to um, 
fund it and you're getting quite a lot of stuff once you've just pledged a lot of smash a lot of um uh, stretch goals so a lot of extra prints and things that i just think i need i need to build extra walls in my house to put all of these prints on um you know at, at some point i'm going to kickstart the build build a wall of for the gallery of all the prints i've got from previous kickstarters are you gonna um, have the music from um heart heart on the right <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and again, some of the kind of other bigger publishers are kind of looking at um, the flexibility that something like Kickstarter gives you um, because Boom Studios, um, although the actual single issues have been bumped back, uh, they've got their um, Berserker uh, comic coming yes. from um, Matt Kint and um, Keanu Reeves. Um, what they've done, as well as uh, distributing single issues through comic sh shops in the normal format, they've allowed people to buy collected editions, or it's basically a pre-order service to yeah. buy collected editions of Brawler um, kind of th through uh, a Kickstarter campaign. But again, it's unfortunately because we are UK-based, one of the big drawbacks on, on that particular campaign was the astronomical shipping costs uh, that we would have got and then the potential for us to also be um, hit with tax and import duties. So that's kind of one of the things I would kind of uh, get people to be a little bit wary about when they are supporting Kickstarter stuff is look at the locations and look at the shipping costs of where things, things are going to be because obviously it might look like a good deal um, just in the pledge, but a lot of places now are adding the shipping as an add-on post the campaign because the scale that that people are now having to ship out it's not like the old days of kickstarters where somebody would have 50 comics to send out in the mail now because you know there's hundreds and hundreds of backers that it's a, it's a big uh job and an expensive job for sending out postage and if we are if you are shipping in things from the united states that's again can be a very costly thing and you've got to be thinking about things like duty and stuff so um you can with Kickstarter, what you can do is you can focus down to where content's available. So when you look within comics, you can see within the entire world, then you can kind of focus that down into kind of the European Union and the UK. So you can look at people who are putting comics about um, in, in the UK. So you can kind of try and alleviate the potential for being stung with large um, shipping and import duty um, costs uh from from there but also as well you can follow particular creators once you've backed somebody you can follow their um uh, content uh and then you can find out kind of the next time they've got books coming up uh, and again for, for, for self-publishers it's quite a good way of making sure you're not overproducing books that you you will struggle to sell through physical uh shops because obviously it's nice and nostalgia nostalgia and comics Worlds Apart Birmingham have a, a nice little section of um, self-published books. But again, in the kind of current situation that we're in, it's not easy for you to go in and browse kind of books like that. So the kind of buy direct from the from the content creators is a really nice way of making sure that um, they're getting paid to produce books. You're getting good quality product and, you know, nobody's kind of losing out in terms of um, kind of overproducing stuff that um, will just sit on shelves for weeks. Definitely. And as you said, big one about shipping on Kickstarter, especially with especially the hardbacks seem to be the most expensive things on there. So like softcover comics and hardback comics seem to have really different pricing. 
So really do check that out, and that's that's definitely a great tip. And you mentioned uh, Tales from the Quarantine. I picked up and Maddie Wants in Future. Both those had shipping requirements post fledging. And one of the ones I have picked up, uh, I've gone over to Indiegogo actually. Uh, yeah. One that one that I purchased a while ago and is still running now. It's in prototyping stage at the moment. Is the Ozbot Tiny webcam, which is a kind of AI powered webcam. It's got inbuilt tracking features and it's on a little gimbal so it'll you know, up down left right etc etc uh, it's, it's basically it's basically the next generation of webcam and they are it's not the cheapest thing in the world i think it's currently the i got in very early but currently it's going for about 140 dollars for that uh, but it makes a difference if you're going to be spending that kind of money on a webcam anyway I think this is probably quite a good one, and they've had future uh, previously successful campaigns. That's the other tip I would say. I mean, like Steve uh, from Steve, as I mentioned earlier, has been using Kickstarter for a long time now, and he's got a lot of successfully backed campaigns behind him. Uh, he's done uh, the Flintlock series of books through there, and he's done lots of other works through Kickstarter. And Time Bomb is known for doing through Kickstarter, and they're known for fulfilling their requirements. And the other thing you have to remember with any kind of crowdfunding campaign is you're making a pledge. You're not guaranteed to get the goods afterwards. It's all about hitting the funding goal. And there is a risk that sometimes the the uh, the rewards may not appear. Especially that's that's happened quite a lot in the gaming world where a lot of money has been paid in. And games have never finished development where, where the money just disappeared through sinking through development creep and... Uh, extra time added into them so be careful on that uh, so I always say check the history of a campaign before you're buying it or is it from a name that you trust but the flip side of that is a lot of corporates are doing this Kickstarter funding thing now as well uh, which you mentioned Boom Studios but I'm thinking like the bigger corporates I've seen a lot of a lot of larger technology companies uh, I know I think Philips were doing it with the projector a while ago where it was kind of we expect you to fund the projector via Kickstarter rather than just buying it directly. And it's probably a way of then recouping R&D costs. I'm not a huge fan of that, but you can see those crop up. And uh, Hasbro have their own internal Kickstarter now, which is HasbroPulse.com. Good example is the model of the Razor Crest from Mandalorian. So you have to like pay in advance for the, for the Star Wars vintage collection version of the Razor Crest, where you'll have to pledge and then goals will get unlocked throughout there. And a big one that's come out as well recently is Hero Quest, which is a game fondly remembered by lots of people across the country and around the world, I'd assume. Keith, you were a fan of the original? Yeah, it was an easy way for me to get into kind of tabletop gaming outside of uh, things like D&D. Um, so we've got the kind of first uh, release of, of that game. We still play it now. It, it gets a regular uh, outing um, to, to, to play. Uh, even my partner, Madeline, who isn't really a big games player, doesn't mind um, being kind of the dungeon master in that game, which is quite nice. Um, and it's got a lot of flexibility and it's, it's very accessible to people of all ages. I mainly know HeroQuest through that like years old viral video. The guy. Bardic Broadcasts, watch that video. I'll link it in the description actually about why HeroQuest is the greatest game of all time. Uh, but Hasbro are releasing a new version of that. I think at the time of recording, there's roughly about uh, 24 days left on that one. 
But um, the cheapest tier for that is $100, going up to $150 for the Mythic tier, which includes extra bits, some um, some expansion packs for that. I think in the UK as well, Zavi have got it uh, as, a, as a pre-order offer as well for about £150. I don't think you're yeah. getting any extra. I think you're just getting the core game. Yeah. Um, but that, that's a way of, of um, kind of get, at least getting in on the ground on that kind of hero quest. It seems to have gone up in price considerably from what I remember. There was a kid buying the box up. <laughs> and it, it's, it's got stuff like now, I think they've just reached £2 million worth of funding uh, but they've got like extra things to unlock, like extra zombies, extra orcs, or extra heroes to be included if they spend more. I think the it's up to three million pounds here. I think the pledges go up to. Wow! For a company like Hasbro to fund it with such a well-known franchise in this kind of methodology feels a bit feels a bit wrong to me to be crowdfunding for something that you know is going to sell well in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's it's got a market that's not. It's not going to sell to a lot of people, is it? It's not. It's yeah. not something they're going. Oh, it's a bit niche. I don't know whether we're going to um, make yeah. our money back. Yeah, I mean Hasbro do it a lot with the Transformers toys. I know, where they'll do like masterpiece or select versions. So they currently have a Starscream model on their Hasbro Pulse for two hundred and sixty-five dollars. Their masterpiece editions. Again, these are franchises where you don't really need to crowdfund or get pledges or in advance. It feels to me like they're using it kind of as a pre-order system, which is some benefit. But if you're paying that much towards it, big companies doing something like this is just—you should really have the money for that. And I think it comes from this idea of like, um, we need to make products that sell to everybody. Yeah. And we can't like decide, oh, we're going to releasing a niche product. We'll spend the niche budget and give it the right marketing and stuff. It's just. Now everything has to sell the same amount and so they're, they're going down this route and it's like okay well so it's a way of maximizing profit in a way that doesn't feel right yeah for the size of the company i i am a guilty pleasure of me is getting mondo vinyl i know it'll keep its value because they only ever release a limited amount but again it's a case of there's no pre-orders for it it's just they release it on the website and if you're lucky enough to get one there and then then good luck you but they don't gouge the prices on that and it feels to me like these always have an inbuilt additional cost on top of buying the product is you're paying paying for the product you're expected to do the viral marketing for them off the back of it and at the same time you're paying for the r&d cost for this to be produced and the tooling for something Mm -hmm. that that might not be as mass market as it used to be yeah i think for independent creators who kind of this is this is their uh, way of making things work um, and especially, especially with the comics you have a lot of those do give the option to get digital versions as well so you can bypass the, the shipping and all the rest of it if you're happy enough with having a, a, a digital comic but again as a collector it's nice to have that physical thing um, but for the bigger companies that have got access to big um, distribution networks you know it, it, it's if you can if you can ship your product to Smith's Toys or um, you know a Walmart or wherever it is or Barnes and Noble or whatever it is a lot of these kind of American big based companies um, and again you know if you can sell it through a toy store or a comic shop and you're a big company that's you're helping that industry at the same time um, you know I think it's 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 trickier when you're a smaller person it's more difficult to get your products into into those yes. kind of venues and in front of people. 
Um, but you know, when you kind of the, somebody like Boom Studios and you've got a, a product associated with somebody like Keanu Reeves, you you kind of you have you haven't got to sell that. That sells itself just by association of the kind of thing. It's the same with the Transformers. Yeah. Um, like you said, with Mondo, at least they don't over uh, egg the prices. It's a collectible. You know, the prices are there. The, the the downside of that is then everything ends up on eBay at six times the price, and people yeah. are buying to to sell on. So again, it's it's one of those things. If you if you price it reasonably, it's it's scalped, and people make a profit off it. If if it's too expensive, then kind of like you know, it's it's uh, it's a difficult one to kind of do. I mean, um, yeah, I think there's always going to be scalpers. I mean, definitely from the technology world, uh, Nvidia released their latest version of the graphics cards, the RTX thirty eight and thirty ninety. And stock was extremely limited. It was more of a paper launch than an actual stock launch. And uh, MSI, who are one of the bigger graphics card retailers, one of their sub-brands was found to be taking stock from MSI and putting it on eBay at 10 times the price. So there's even scalping within in businesses. And there's a big scandal about that. And it's MSI had to basically say, uh, look, we'll refund you the difference or... You can return it for the full price, but scalping I don't think is going to be able to go away, especially when you have websites kind of like Hot UK deals where deals get posted or pre-release information will leak out sometimes, and there is an army of people who have the money there ready to buy things because they know they can turn a quick profit. And I know some people make a living off that, and that's unfortunately the way the world is. That's why I prefer stuff like the Mondo version of it, where it's a case of maybe maybe the Maybe the crowdfunding and pledging is a way to get around this a little bit, where it's the case of, right, you're paying X amount of money, but you know you're paying X amount of money and that you'll get your product or or game or comic book at the end of that. And Lee, I know indie games very much so need the crowdfunding market to be able to survive now. Yeah, I mean, with um, games, it's interesting because often crowdfunding isn't the only funding source. A lot of the time, a lot of time, um, a lot of indie publishers will use Kickstarter as a way to gauge interest and get a, like an initial investment. But then they can take that to a publisher and be like, "Well, we got this amount of money on Kickstarter. Now give us the rest." Kind yeah. of thing. Um, so you see that a lot. I mean, that's kind of what happened with um, Bloodstained because they they got funded partly through Five Hundred Five. Yeah. Um, as well as the kickstart stuff and that's pretty much how double fine got back in well started off really yeah. wasn't it through tim shape yeah uh, although although now double fine have microsoft money so they're fine <laughs> is there any games um i don't know of any games specifically off the top of my head um like i haven't really sort of properly checked recently but um you know especially because there was a point where like there seemed to be all these big projects coming out from you know respected creators um not all of them were great um because we we all know about mighty number nine and shenmue three and sort of stuff like that but every so often you'll get something like bloodstained which has done incredibly well and like they've done and what i like with that is that a game that they did as a stretch goal a sequel to that came out this year without crowdfunding or anything because obviously it's clear that yeah they, they did well on their own anyway yeah I mean, I know a lot of games, I mean, it's something we would have probably done this year with EGX and probably seen Rep gone to rest and checked mm-hmm. out the indie creators like did last year. And I think it's probably a struggle for them to get the word out as much this year. I mean, 
having yeah. that kind of chance to demo your work, which I mean, stuff like Lord with the Bottom Investigates and that I cannot remember the name Disobedient Sheep. There we go. And that yep. was a really, really fun game to play and pick up and play. <laughs> and we'd have never found out about that. I would have never found out that game without wandering past it at EGX. So I think yep. that's always going to be a bit of an issue now. Is how do we, how do these indie creators get shown? And another mm. thing is if these crowdfunding sites get swamped by the bigger brands releasing yep. flagship money and having the money to be able to get it to the top of Kickstarter pages through viral advertising or promoting it through technology people, YouTube people, or independents and influencers. It, it worries me a little bit that crowdsourcing just seems to be another way of funding or getting money early at people now through more of a pre-order scheme rather than using it as a, what it's intended yeah. for. And I hope people like, as we mentioned, Time Bomb Comics and Steve Tanner still have the traction in future. I mean, uh, like Rachel Smith's got a quarantine comics up on a crowdfunder at present, I believe, where you can get uh, her entire quarantine comics collected into one volume. So yeah. People like that, I want to see go forward and be able to get funded and have great hope with that coming through. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Burami podcast this week. Don't forget to go on to Twitter and vote in our Alien Setting the Scene poll. Uh, Lee, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I'm currently in the process of a Halloween spooktacular series of videos all revolving around horror games, uh, culminating in a big analysis of horror stories in games as a whole at the end of the month. Um, you can get updates on that channel on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret. You can support the channel on Patreon at Bob the Pet Ferret. And you can also find me on Twitter in general at The Cheap Ferret. Awesome. Thank you. Keith, where can we find you online? You can find me on my uh, retweet channel, which is at Hardlook Hotel. Um, Hardlook underscore hotel. I've even got it myself, which is mostly just retweeting um, Geeky Brummy content. Uh, of which I put a lot up on a Wednesday when I uh, go through a bunch of the um, latest comics releases, uh, which uh, kind of feature some of the pool list comics, which uh, are on the main website, and then a couple of other books that I've kind of not particularly buying straight away, but have, are of interest to me, uh, and I might pick, pick up at some point later on or as a, a bunch of trades. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that going through. Uh, and then you can just look at my lovely black and white photography on my Instagram, which is Hard Luck Hotel. Uh, and you speed the anniversary of one of your work projects recently as well. <laughs> yeah, unbelievably, uh, a project I worked on last year, which was with um, service users from Cypher Fireside and Crisis, who made a, a, a three-episode series called Wetlands. Um, I've just kind of um, it was premiered a year ago um, this month, and so the, I've put the feature-length cut up online uh and you know this was a film that was made by people who hadn't any previous experience really of doing uh films um or acting for camera uh it was it was written uh and performed um, by all of, all of the members of the group and they've, they've done a, a fabulous job you can find that on youtube uh if you search for real Atle real access wetlands uh you'll stumble across it uh you can find mr matt level at 
Mr. Matt Level on Twitter, and I think it's Matchstick Matt on Instagram, if I remember correctly. Uh, go That's and, correct. Go and wish him well. Hope he gets better soon. And you can find me at Ryan Parrish for the normal tweety stuff when I do get around to it, which is pretty much just the Geeky Marie retweet channel as well. Uh, you can find me on Brummy Gourmand, where I'm currently be making sake gifts every week on a Tuesday at Bake Off, like most of the rest of the UK. And you can find us all at geekybrummy.com, uh, geekybrummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and at youtube.com forward slash geekybrummy. Go go over there and subscribe, keep our subscriber account up. We finally got that beautiful uh, custom URL. Really good to see. Uh, don't forget to check it out every week on a Wednesday, Keith's Comic Roundup, where you can find the latest issues. And every Friday where Matt and occasionally Matt jump it in with the latest of gaming news in their roundup and pick a game of the week. But otherwise, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, don't forget we have a Kofi as well, kofi.com forward slash geeky uh, And please don't forget to do the thing that every single person who has a podcast will ever tell you to do, which is like, subscribe, share, tell all your friends, give us a rating, all that fun stuff, great engagement. And it helps us get the chance so we can share the podcast with even more listeners but for now goodbye everybody bye goodbye everybody